This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome to our third bonus episode of this second season, and it's an interesting one, so strap in. First of all, I want to give a quick shout out to our email newsletter and our Patreon page, both which you can find in the show notes. Subscribe to our email newsletter to hear more about the show every week, and you can support us on Patreon if you so choose. You choose the amount you donate, and anything you can give is very much appreciated. So, over the past few years, institutions like the UNFCCC and the IPCC have released reports and updates that have set goals and dates and statements like, we must reduce emissions by 50% by 2030 and be carbon neutral by 2050 as a planet. What we're talking about today is where those dates and where those numbers come from. They're called tipping points, meaning that by the estimates put out by these institutions, these goals are the minimum that we must reach or else we will lose control and climate change will basically ravage the world without anyone doing anything to stop it. There's a lot to get into and a lot of it is kind of abstract, so let's get started. So what is a tipping point? Well, it's similar to what it sounds like, a point at which the balance tips. The best way to illustrate what a tipping point is is with an example. Take an endangered species, which is kind of related to climate change in some ways, I guess. But if you look at an endangered species as the threat of their extinction gets larger, their numbers may decline, but slowly. They are still able to find mates and reproduce, but maybe because of environmental damage or whatever, more of them die off every year than they reproduce and create new population. That's slow decline, and if we were to graph that slow decline, it would be a gentle downward curve. There is a point on that curve that we could pinpoint on that graph and classify it as a tipping point. In the case of endangered species, the cause of that point is probably lack of mates. The tipping point occurs when there is only, say, 100 animals left. Their numbers have dwindled too far, and the only ones that are left are too spread out to find one another to reproduce with. Instead of that gentle curve of the graph, we would see a sharp decline in the population, because a bunch of them still died, and there was no production to even out the scales. The balance had tipped. And it's usually at these tipping points that whatever the system is has been so disrupted that it can't recover. In the case of the endangered species, their numbers would continue to drop quickly because they can't mate with one another until they're completely wiped out. So that is a tipping point. That's what it is. And there are tons of tipping points for climate, which we're going to get into in a little bit. And they're also sometimes called indicators or key indicators. So why do these exist? Why is there a tipping point instead of a steady decline all the way down to zero? The answer to that is feedback systems or feedback loops. For our endangered species example, they may have become endangered because of habitat loss or whatever, but the feedback loop of reproduction was stable. Their numbers were declining because they couldn't find adequate food, etc., but they were still able to mate and reproduce. When the population got too low, the feedback loop of reproduction was disrupted, becoming a new feedback loop, or a system of cause and effect that feeds into itself, where the population is so low so that they can't reproduce, so the population drops even more, 
and it's even harder to reproduce until poof, they're all gone. It just repeats itself over and over and over again. So relating this to climate, one of the easiest to understand climate feedback loops is ice sheets or glaciers. They're basically the same thing. The cause of our ice sheets melting is human-caused climate impact. We emit greenhouse gases that warm the planet and melt the ice sheets. Now keep in mind that ice reflects a lot of the energy from the sun. So when climate change causes our ice to melt, it creates another feedback loop. It's getting warmer, so the ice melts, so less energy is reflected, so it gets warmer, so the ice melts, and so on. That's the feedback loop that is linked to the tipping point. We haven't hit the tipping point for our polar ice yet. Hitting the tipping point would mean that we've allowed climate change to advance so far that no matter what we do, we won't be able to stop it. Reaching the tipping point means that even if we stopped emitting greenhouse gases, even if we began to pull greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere, it wouldn't matter because the feedback loop would continue to feed itself. More ice melts, less sun reflected, until the ice is completely gone. It's important to note that these tipping points are speculative. Thousands of people are dedicating their lives to figuring out where the climate tipping points are, and that's why we have the Intergovernmental Planet on Climate Change, or IPCC. But the truth is, we can't be 100% sure where a tipping point is until we've passed it and observed the consequences for a decent amount of time, most likely multiple years. So we can't be sure where our deadline is for stopping our greenhouse gas emissions. The IPCC have said things like we need to stop emitting carbon by 2050 and things like that, and underlying that statement is a tipping point meaning that they believe if we don't hit that goal, we won't be able to stop climate change. The reality is that instead of 2050, that tipping point could be 2030 or 2040 or 2035, and we could pass it and look back in 2050 and wonder why everything went so sharply downhill after 2040, even though we hit the goals that we were supposed to. The tipping point for emissions could be 2060 or 2080, it probably isn't, but we can't be 100% sure, which is why we cannot wait to act. We cannot accept a just-in-time mindset, right? We can't plan to become carbon neutral on December 31st of 2049 to be carbon neutral by 2050, because the odds are much higher that the deadline to stop contributing to climate change is sooner rather than later. It's very important that we dedicate ourselves to achieving the goals expressed by the IPCC as soon as possible, not just in time. So let's take a look at some of the other tipping points that are being considered by the IPCC and others to be the key indicators of whether or not we will be able to properly mitigate climate change or not. These are some of, but not all of the factors that go into the reports and the goals that are released by these organizations. Tipping points are a big part of the goals we have to reach, but there are factors that aren't related to these continuous feedback loops. But believe it or not, the science behind tipping points is some of the most simple and straightforward science that goes into making these predictions. And since it's also some of the most important, I'm going to leave everything else that goes into these studies for people with master's degrees and everything like that. So, some other tipping points. Let's start with one that is similar to our polar ice example, permafrost. As we continue to emit greenhouse gas emissions, the world warms up. We know that. That's a fact. As the world warms up, the permafrost close to the poles will thaw. And all that permafrost is, is organic matter. Dead plants and soils and organisms that have been frozen for years and never thaws because it's too cold all year round. When that permafrost melts, 
the organic matter inside starts to decompose, which releases methane and other greenhouse gases, which in turn, of course, warms the climate even more. Another tipping point that is concerning to climate scientists is the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. The Amazon rainforest is a massive carbon sink, which means it pulls carbon out of the atmosphere, which slows down climate change. And that's because of its sheer size and density of foliage and tree life. Unfortunately, the size of the rainforest also keeps it stable. It would be difficult for so much plant life to survive on the intermittent rainfall. Instead, much of the water that is used by the life in the rainforest comes from other plants. As plants transpire, which basically means they sweat out water, other plants absorb that water and use it. The problem here is that we can't seem to just leave the Amazon alone. We insist on chopping it up and burning it down to make room for agriculture and development, even though we know for a fact that it is an essential stabilizing force for the climate of our planet. This self-dependent system creates a tipping point as well, because if we continue to deforest the Amazon, it won't have the stability that it's afforded by the plants feeding off of one another. It simply won't be big enough and dense enough. Couple that with climate impacts like heat waves and droughts, and more and more of the forest will die off and eventually we will lose the carbon sink of the Amazon, which would obviously be bad. Less trees means more carbon means more climate change. I said that the Amazon was a carbon sink, and it should be, theoretically. It's a giant body of carbon-absorbing organisms. Unfortunately, the deforestation of the Amazon is not taking the form of logging, for the most part, which is very, very disappointing because the trees of the Amazon are not even being used to build homes and communities. Instead, soy and beef farmers are burning large portions of the Amazon to make room for agriculture. They're burning it, lighting it on fire. The result is that we can't rely on the Amazon as a carbon sink, even now. Already, because of the man-made fires of deforestation, the Amazon emits about a billion tons of carbon dioxide every year. That's its net emissions which means it accounts for all of the carbon dioxide that it pulls out of the air, and it's still emitting a billion tons of carbon dioxide every year. Now for our next tipping point. Corals are one of the most susceptible biological systems to a changing climate. Corals are affected by the warming of the oceans, the acidification of the ocean by absorbing CO2, and ocean pollution by chemicals and plastics. Because of all these factors, it's been estimated that if the temperature rises 2 degrees, 99% of all the coral on Earth will die out. That is one of the many reasons that we must, we must keep warming to less than 1.5 degrees instead of 2. Corals function less as a tipping point to further emissions. If they hit their tipping point, they're probably not going to cause climate change to get a whole lot worse. Because the climate impact of dying corals is relatively minimal. However, we generally don't want entire species to go extinct, which is what's going to happen if we continue on the path that we're on, because corals have a tipping point of their own. Once the temperature reaches 1.5 degrees above the pre-industrial average, corals will die off in an unprecedented rate, and coral will become functionally extinct. And like I said, that's due to ocean acidification, pollution, and just the warming of the oceans, as well as the fact that's similar to the Amazon rainforest, as in, once the corals start dying, corals around them die quicker as well. The final tipping point that I'm going to talk about is the capacity for humans to mitigate climate change. Now, that sounds a little abstract, but what it means is, 
At a certain point, the impacts from climate change, like fires, floods, and droughts, will put so much stress on societies all over the world that we will be forced to deal with those impacts instead of working to reduce emissions. Once we reach that point, the less time we will have to prevent climate change and the more the cycle will feed itself. We have to react to climate change instead of mitigate it. So climate change gets worse. So we have to react more, mitigate less, and it just keeps going. So there are a lot of climate tipping points, none of which we want to get even close to. I want to reiterate, these all happen at some point. We have a vague idea of where that point is, which helps us to set goals like preventing the Earth from warming more than 1.5 degrees, but we don't know exactly when these tipping points will occur, so we have to work hard now to make sure we stay far, far away from any possibility of triggering them. We should be putting all of our efforts into staying away from each of these because they're all interconnected. For many climate scientists and activists, this is one of, if not the biggest, concerns they have for climate. If we are unable to stop the ice sheets from melting, the impact of triggering that tipping point is more warming, which could very well accelerate and trigger other tipping points like the permafrost and the Amazon rainforest. It's difficult to comprehend and react to the concept of tipping points because they're kind of abstract, right? We don't know when they will happen and what exactly will happen when they're triggered. Passing these points will inevitably lead to more climate disaster, but we can't say exactly how much. This is one reason that makes it difficult for me personally to accept when people say, we will still be okay if we don't hit the goals of the IPCC. Occasionally, people will reason that because they believe it impossible to hit these goals, we should accept the fact that we may have to instead deal with the consequences of what happens if we do. Which to me isn't the right mindset. Because we don't know what exactly will happen when we hit these tipping points, and odds are, it's just going to get worse from there. Researching and examining tipping points is a bit of a somber subject, but at the same time, I appreciate the urgency that comes with it. To me, tipping points are a reason to push beyond what we know now and look for solutions that can disrupt the rhetoric that our goals are impossible. Even though we can't define exactly when and where we will hit them, I see these points as a finality, because if we cross them, we will have even less control over climate. Our window of opportunity is closing. The sooner we act on climate, reduce emissions, and stop the warming of our planet, the more positive impact that we can have. The closer we get to these tipping points, the less our action actually matters in the scope of climate impact. And once we hit that point, we will lose all control and we will be subject to runaway climate change. For a more technical look at the next couple of years of climate and climate action, we have to stop looking at climate change as a linear path. We're already above one degree of warming since the 1800s. And when the IPCC says that we have to keep warming below 1.5 degrees by 2050, that doesn't mean that the Earth is going to warm up 0.16 degrees every 10 years until 2050 when we reach the 1.5 degrees, and then everything is fine. Global warming is an exponential curve because carbon accumulates in the atmosphere. For an example, made up numbers as always, if we warmed the Earth by a degree last year and emitted the exact same amount of greenhouse gases this year, the Earth would warm by 1.1 degrees, even though we don't put more up there than we did last year. That isn't what happens, though. What has actually been happening is compared to last year, we are still emitting more greenhouse gases. So in our scenario, 
the world might warm up by 1.3 degrees. When we factor in tipping points, when we hit one of these tipping points and we still emit more every year, this year could warm up by 1.5 or 1.7 degrees. Again, I'm just using made up numbers to illustrate the point, but the concept is the same in real life, just with smaller numbers. The exception is 2020, which is actually the first time in a long time where we emitted less emissions than the year before, which is a great step in the right direction. Now, that could be attributed to the fact that we were all stuck in our houses due to COVID, but our job now is to ensure that we keep decreasing yearly emissions. That's the only way that we're going to beat this thing. And that's what we're looking for to stop climate change. If last year warmed by a degree and we put in place enough renewable energy and sustainable technology, or like in 2020, just drove and flew less, which means that we actually emit less than the year before, it might warm up by 0.9 degrees. It still warms up, just slower. So the ultimate goal is to emit nothing, to create a carbon neutral planet where humans don't contribute any greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. If we can achieve that, which we can, it's more than possible, the world will still warm up. We've put too much into the atmosphere for it to stop immediately. But in our scenario, it would probably be more like 0.1 degrees of warming instead of an entire degree. Again, completely fake numbers. I'm just making that up. If we can go one step further and use carbon capture, reforestation, regenerative agriculture, aquatic forestry, and any of the other methods of pulling greenhouse gases out of the air, it would mean that we're actually getting rid of the accumulated gases in our atmosphere and the rate of warming will get slower and slower. This is known as carbon negative because we're actually reversing our emissions. If we are able to reach these two very important goals, prevent total warming from rising above 1.5 degrees Celsius since pre-industrial measurements, and reach a state of carbon neutrality or negativity by 2050, then we will be okay. I said that the Earth will continue to warm even if we reach a carbon neutral state, just slowly, but even if we don't reach carbon negativity, the Earth will find a new balance point and it will eventually stop warming, even though we've accumulated a lot of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. So to summarize, we have to stop emissions. We have to. Bottom line, first priority, that's it right there. By doing so, we will be able to prevent warming from reaching 1.5 degrees, and we will hopefully avoid these tipping points, which will overall allow us to reach a new balance with our planet. And it might not be exactly the same. The world might be much different, but at least it won't be actively changing and making more chaos for us to deal with. We can do this. We just have to keep these goals at the front of our minds. We have to look for systemic changes in our businesses and political leaders, and you can be a part of that. Talk to your representatives. Talk to the businesses you buy from. Try to limit your consumption of energy, water, and bought items. And when you need to buy something, make sure it's from a company that is making climate pledges. It's a choice, and we must choose to act now. So I've included some resources in the show notes below for you to get involved. Please check those out, and let's work on this together. Well, I hope you enjoyed that bonus episode. It was a little bit more freeform. It covered some stuff we haven't really talked about before. So it was fun to write up and I hope you enjoyed it. I want to stress here again that I am not a climate scientist. So take all of the simulations and stuff at the end there with a grain of salt. I don't have a degree in this, but I hope you understand the concepts I laid out. And if you don't, that's what we're here for. 
Reach out to us on social media or by our email newsletter. You can find both in the show notes and we would love to talk to you about it. That's all I've got today. Remember to check the show notes for ways that you can get involved in climate action so that we continue to pursue those two incredibly important goals I mentioned earlier. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Stay innovative. I'll see you next week.